Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Oh God, we thank you for your presence in the room this morning. God, for the way that you move, the way that you stir, the way that you challenge and the way that you love us. God, we're just so grateful, grateful for a new season in this church, for new steps, for new releasing of the anointing, for new releasing of the Spirit, for young people on fire for God, for old people on fire for God. Lord, I pray that you would just release more. You would release more and more over this faith community. Lord God, that we would take what we learn in church, we would take when we get filled in church and filled within our weeks and we take it out into our community. Lord God, will we be on mission in this world? Thank you, Jesus. I love what Beck said. How can we deny our need for you, Lord God? So, Father, we're not denying anything this morning. We need you. We need you. Anything done in our own Paris futiles. But anything done in you is blessed. So, Father, this morning I pray a releasing of your spirit. God, would I fade to the background? Would your words come to the fore? Would the worship team fade to the background? Would your spirit come to the fore? God, would you move? Would you move only how you can move? Thank you, Jesus. Would you take this space? Would you use it this morning? We want to be on mission for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your mighty name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. That was absolutely beautiful. Can we just give them a hand as they leave? I say it each week, but it brings a tear to my eye. It makes it a little bit sad when you're up here preaching, but um, when before when we're worshiping, I hear all of these little young voices and the place seems full, and then we get to kids' church, and the place empties. Isn't that just such a testament to our amazing children's pastor and what she's doing with our young people? Come on, can I get an amen for that? Come on. Are we alive today, church? Or do, uh, I mean, Dan can bust out coffees. I don't know if he can bust out this many in the space of a few seconds. But Hey, um, my name's Tim, if we haven't met before. And um, I just want to let you know, I'm a youth pastor, and at youth, Tom screams at me, I love you if I'm doing a good job. So, um, hey... If you love what I'm saying, let me know. If you don't, I mean, you can give me a thumbs down. Don't boo me off stage. That'll be a little bit disappointing. But hey, welcome to church. And um, I get the privilege today of bringing the last sermon in our series of stewardship. Because if you didn't pick it up from what Brian was saying before, next week we have our amazing, beautiful senior pastor, Brad, starting. So he's going to bring his own series, he's going to bring his own sermons, and he's taken over all of that. So I believe that it's just going to be God anointed, and he's going to take this places that it's never been before. And that means that the sermons are going in other directions. So I get the beautiful privilege of finishing up our series on stewardship. Now we've learned about stewarding our money and being generous. We have learned about stewarding the world. We have learned about stewarding so many different things in this place. I love Luke's sermon on stewarding the authority of God and his victory, being banner bearers. But today, I want to talk about stewarding our time. 
Because I believe as we have fresh leadership and we have a fresh vision and a visionary who's coming in to take this place to places it's never been before, I believe that we're going to have momentum. But if we don't jump on that momentum and make the most of it, especially in the early parts of Brad stepping on, then we're not taking as much as we can from the kingdom of darkness. So in this time, I want to take background from the kingdom of darkness. Is that okay? So we need to learn how to steward our time because if we're not using our time effectively, we're not being effective. I hope that makes sense. It's pretty simple. I also, I like to preach good, simple take-home points. So I've got three for you later on. And um, when I say those three, I can really step off the stage. They don't really need much explanation. If you can't figure it out, come talk to me later. But um, see, I, um, a little bit about me. I grew up with parents who knew how to do life thin because um, I'm sure most people in, this, in their lives, they've gone through some financial hardships. And as kids, my parents both went through that at times. And no fault of anybody, no fault of my grandparents. It just, it happens. And sometimes you have to go through times when money is thin. But hence, my dad especially picked up some habits that he's passed on to me. Um, so I'm not just calling dad out here. I've got, I've got habits of my own. Um, and one, d- does anybody do the little egg scoopy thing when you crack an egg? Yeah, well, there we go. One person, okay, it's, it's not, just, not just me and dad. Dad taught me something from grandma. When you crack an egg and you, you let the egg out, right, there's actually like these little pockets of egg that are housed in the egg that if you get, do a little scoopy, you get like another fifth to a quarter of an egg out. So I call it the egg scoopy thing. So if you ever see me cracking eggs, I always wash my hands beforehand because I'm always like scooping out the egg afterwards. And another one is, um, he passed this on to me. I don't do it as much as dad used to do it. But um, you know how when you finish your meal and you plate it up, and you've got that fry pan, and it's just cooling down, how there's still little bits of charcoal in the bottom that are just like getting blackened. Dad used to go back, and you'd see him after dinner just with a spoon, kind of just scraping all them out and eating them. And there's absolutely no nutritional content in charcoal bits, right? It's just, it's, yeah, it's, well, charcoal is apparently nutritional. I mean, I only do it when there's garlic in the meal. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's blackened with charcoal, but it's got a bit of garlic, I mean, thank the Lord for garlic. Imagine if we didn't have garlic. Imagine a palmy without garlic or like bolognese without garlic. Just anything without garlic. Imagine garlic bread. Another one that dad, now this is a big debate. Who's on the um, you eat the fat side of your steak? Who's not? Okay, we're about fit. Wait, can I have, sorry, you, you eat the fat on, the, on your steak? Well, it seems like this side of the room. And then you don't eat the fat? Okay, it's, it's kind of an even, even split, but Dad always taught me about, um, we had this phrase, nature's own chewing gum. And so what that refers to is um, when, when mum was making fried rice, she'd chop up the bacon and she'd cut off the fat because um, it's gluggy, it's gross. And then me and Dad would come along afterwards, after it had been sitting on a paper towel, and either at the end of the meal or just before, we'd chuck it in the fry pan, cook it all up, and we'd just eat that bacon fat straight as it was. But I've taken it to another level. If you cut the fat off your meat, if you've, like, you have a steak, even if we're out at a restaurant, and Bex, she's nodding, even if it's gross and cold at the end of your meal, I'll just eat the fat off your plate. Like, I really don't care. If the fat's there, I'm going to eat it. So I've taken it to another level. I eat other people's fat now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty gross. But I've picked up some habits. But there's one habit from Dad that I've picked up that I absolutely love. And if you know me and my brothers, you know this to be true. We've picked up the habit of not caring what anybody thinks about us. And I mean, it, it is a good trait sometimes, and sometimes it's a bad trait. Um, because for, for my dad, and I love him, and I know he's got an ego like nothing else, so he can take all of like kind of what I'm dishing at the moment. But dad, um, 
he's get, got a lot better. I mean, Dad, can you stand up for me just for a second? He doesn't look too bad. He's, he's dressed okay. But I want to tell you, and I say this every time I get up because it hurts me. Dad used to dress, and like, there's the typical dad, and then there was dad. And he's got the white leather sneakers. Like, you know those New Balance ones? The ones that, Dad, I reckon 10, 15 years, you had them for, whose shoes last 10 to 15 years, unless they're leather boots or something, but 10, 15 years, white leather sneakers, then shin-high brown socks, cargo pants that came down to the knee, if not just past, that, like, they were long cargo shorts, so there was no leg seen, and then a nice colored top, like maybe an orange and blue, tucked in with a belt that was just way too big, like a tradies belt, and that was dad, but did he care one iota what you thought about what he was wearing? Not in the slightest. Didn't care in the slightest. We'd roll our eyes as he walked out the door and he's like, it doesn't matter what you think. I'm comfortable. I'm ready for anything. I can praise God and then I can go to work. I could fight off ninjas right now. I'm ready for anything. <laughs> but it didn't matter what you said. And see, me and my brothers have picked that up. We've, um, we've mastered the art of mercilessly teasing our loved ones. Um, Earlier this year in about uh, February, I think it was mum's birthday actually, we went to Fremantle and we had fish and chips by the foreshore and it was lovely. But we decided we'd go get ice cream on the cafe strip. So everybody knows, I'm sure you all know from Frio down at the foreshore near Cicerellos. Cicerellos? Yeah, that's the word. I was thinking Cottesloe for some reason. That's a different beach. You'd walk through the park, but we walked like kind of just around the park so that we were in the light and we weren't in the dark. And then you'd walk down to the cafe strip to get ice cream. And we've got this bad auntie. We call her bad auntie because um, she's the auntie that she eggs you on to do silly things. Like, she's, she's the cool auntie. Like, you would be sitting there and she's like, do it. Just do it. You know you want to. And so she'd egg us on. And so she can, she can cop a lot. Like, she can, she can give as much as she can take. But we had her walking on the other side of the road, looking the other direction, because she didn't want to be associated with the nutcases screaming and cackling as loud as they could and saying, oh, hello there. As loud as we possibly could, everybody that walked down the other side of the road, she'd apologize to because she just knew us. Like, she was absolutely red. Or oh, I love to play this game at red lights. I want to see how far back I can get the person next to me to send their chair so that people won't see them sitting in the car with me. Does anybody know the song Chandelier by Sia? Yeah, I want to swing from the chandelier. And she hits these really high notes that only a female can hit. Me and my brothers have practiced and we can hit those high notes now. And it does not sound nice. But we will... No, no, I will, I will bleed people's ears. If you want to hear it, I'll do it outside where there's enough room. But we'll, I'll wind down the windows while we're at a red light. And you, your passengers can't get out. And then I will belt out chandelier at the top of my lungs. See how red I can get them. And see if I can get them to lay all the way down so that people won't see their faces. But you see, it doesn't matter what day it is. I am always being myself. And I don't really care what you think about it. I'm always eating the bacon fat because I love the taste of it, or I'm always scooping eggs. That's a really weird phrase. I'm always scooping eggs. But I'm always being me. And I wonder, if today somebody were to describe you using the word always, what would it be that you are always doing? Just give you a moment of, to ponder or reflect. You'd hope that, say, he's always, always helping or always encouraging for some people, we might reflect and be like, they might say always grumpy, always finding fault, or always finding good. And I know there are some people in this room, without a doubt, I could point people out, drop of a hat, that are always working. 
There are some people that work hard in this place. Or always sharing faith with my young people. Or, hey, look, everybody in this room, always scrolling Instagram. Oh, yeah, there was a few people that, a little bit of a stab there. But what would it be that you were always doing if somebody were to describe you? Now, I'd love to say that I'm always doing good or I'm always serving or I'm always loving on people, but it doesn't always happen. And we're going to get to a Bible verse in just a moment that um, I think it's the epitome of what we should be striving for when it's always doing something. But um, we're in our stewardship series, and I want to look at stewarding our time because I think that it's the most important asset that we have in this world. We've got money. That's, that's useless because you use it to pay things, but our time can be used to change people's lives. And if we use our time effectively, we can build the kingdom, or if we're not effective with it, we're not doing anything for the kingdom, and we're called to be on this world to build the kingdom, to make disciples of all nations. Am I right? Oh, come on. Am I right? There we go. That's better. But, I mean, I think you'd probably agree we live in a really selfish, self-centered, just self-promoting culture these days. Um, And when you look up self-promotion, for instance, in Google, It comes up with article after article after article coaching you on how to promote yourself, how to make yourself look better. And there's there's three that just come came straight away when you type up self-promotion. And one's called the art of self-promotion, six ways to get your work discovered. Another is self-promotion is a skill. I mean, in other words, if you want to get ahead in this world, you need to promote yourself. You need to make people see that you are good, that you're great at what you do, that you're amazing. Well, there's another one. I don't know if people in this room need to read it or if you might need to refer it to a friend, but ways to promote yourself without being a jerk. You see, self-promotion is a skill that we need to get really good at, and it's an idea that's become so pervasive in our culture. Did you know that in 2021, the most sought-after career for young people is to be a celebrity? But we're not talking about a celebrity like Will Smith, because Will Smith had to put in the work to get good at acting, And he did countless movies where you wouldn't even recognize him because it was so long ago. He did theater, he did all this training. Uh, Most young people these days want to just self-promote themselves, be an Instagram influencer or be a YouTube star, and that they are actually the commodity that people are seeking. They They want to be a commodity that people just want to see them. They want to promote themselves to the point that people just want them for who they are. They want to just see pictures of them doing their adventures. And it's become so pervasive, but um, we've, we've been taught that we have to learn how to promote ourselves, to help others see who we are. We have to be the goat. Now, there's a few confused faces when I said we have to be the goat, not like the sacrifice that used to happen in the Old Testament. Does anybody know what I'm referring to when I say the goat? Don't say that, but chuck your hands up in the air. I just want to say, okay, the people that put their hands up either have kids or teenagers, am I right? Yeah, okay, for the most part. Or you're a teenager. So the goat refers to the greatest of all time. So I want to be the greatest of all time at what I do. I want people to see I'm the greatest of all time. And see, that's what self-promotion aims for. I want to be the greatest of all time. It's a really weird thing. When I heard that Lionel Messi was the goat, I thought they were insulting him or like he looked like a goat. But no, apparently it's the greatest of all time. I want to be the greatest. But the problem with pursuing self-promotion being the greatest of all time, is if we follow Jesus' teachings, his teachings are diametrically opposed to a culture of self-service, of self-promotion, a selfish culture. 
He says, if you want to be the greatest, you'll be what? A servant, the least. The least of you will be the greatest. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, don't promote yourself. He said, first you must deny yourself, pick up your cross. So in a world that is so full of self-promotion and this self-centered culture, Jesus is saying, you know what? I actually want you to step back from that. I want you to die to your own selfish natures. Then you can follow me. If you want to be the greatest, don't self-promote. If you want to be the greatest, you must be a servant. You must be the least. And see, if we're a follower of Christ, we're not called to self-promote. We're called to be a servant, to serve, to be selfless, to be denying of ourselves and taking on the very nature of a servant. But the problem is being a servant is not what we're called to do. It's actually who we're called to be. It's in our very nature. Jesus didn't say, just serve. He said, be a servant. The least of you will be a servant. So serving is not just an act that we need to do. It's who we are called to be. In other words, it's not just something we do. It's an action that reflects who we are serving. And we serve because it is at our core who we are. So what is it that you are always doing? And at the end of today, I hope that all of us go away with the heart cry that if that was answered about us, that we would just have to say, you know what, that person is always serving. They are always loving. They are always doing good. And see, I said Acts, verse, Acts 9, verse 36, and if we could chuck that up on the screen, this is one of the most powerful verses, I think, for just an apostle's character, one of the disciples. So it says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. What was she always doing? Always doing good and helping the poor. That is what she was known for. It's not always working, not always blessing people, but just always doing good and helping the poor. And about that time, she became sick and died. Her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So there was a disciple named Tabitha, and in Greek, her name was Dorcas. And can we have a moment of silence for that poor girl? I mean, if, I don't know if Dork exists, existed back then, but if that girl existed today, my goodness, she would be teased mercilessly for her name, Dorcas, like... But apparently Dorcas actually in Greek um, means Giselle. So some scholars believe that she was very beautiful. Um, we don't know for sure, but what we do know is what she was always doing. She was always doing good, the text says, and helping the poor. What a description. What a description. She was known for doing good and helping the poor. And see, Dorcas was actually known for creating garments for the poor and the widow. That's right there in the text. And her ministry evidently was so important that God used Peter to raise her from the dead. And what we didn't read about is just after that, Peter raises her from the dead and then a revival breaks out in her town. Her ministry of just being a servant and saying, you know what, I'm going to use the skills that I have. I'm just going to make clothes for people who don't have clothes. was so important that God raised her from the dead and a revival broke out in her town. I think that's incredible. 
But instead of always being self-promoting in attitude, she was always selfless, using what she had to make a difference in the lives of others, serving because she knew who she was, a servant of the Most High God. And I don't know about you, but I would just want to be a servant of the Most High God if people were to say, what is Tim always doing? See, I think doing good and helping the poor is encapsulated in serving. And I actually, I actually personally believe that after Jesus' greatest com- great commandment, which it's two, but can be taken into one of love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, I believe the next most important thing that he constantly talks about is being a servant. It's the greatest among you will be a servant. And Jesus didn't come, yes, he's a powerful king, but he didn't come as the powerful king or the king that ruled. He came as a servant king. And if we're meant to embody everything that Jesus is, aren't we meant to come and be a servant? So the question remains, how do we as Jesus followers, how do we become faithful servants? You might say, I can't make clothes, so I can't help in that way. I also, I'm not really good at singing, so I can't be on the worship team to help worship lead. I can't preach the Bible. I'm not good at making tea. For some reason, it just turns out bad. I can't cook food, so I can't bless people with meals. So I don't know how I can be useful. But today I want to keep it really simple. I want to give you three points to walk away with. Some are encouragement, some are a challenge, and then there's a small point at the end about how we can serve. So three things. Is that all right, church? Come on. So the three things is one, serve in church. Two, just do it. And then three, do what may seem insignificant. And we're done. That's it. Okay. Can I have the worship team, please? <laughs> no, it's as simple as that. And um, the first point, serve in church. The Bible is so clear about our need to serve. But I actually believe it's also really clear about our need to serve in church. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 to 11 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards. There's that word. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Did you know that God will provide the strength when you are serving for anything that the devil wants to throw at you? When you're in an act of service, God will provide you with the necessary strength, the necessary abilities, the necessary miracles. God provides when you're in a state of service. It doesn't say when you're working. It doesn't say when you're jogging. It says when you are serving. God provides strength so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I mean, I know that's powerful, but it says we need to use our gifts that we have received to serve others. Be faithful stewards of God's grace. And then the second verse that I want to go through encapsulates why we need to serve in the body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 to 31 talks, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, to all work miracles, to all have gifts of healing, to all speak in tongues, to all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. I want to focus on two parts of that verse right there. There's one really simple little line there. It says, then gifts of healing and of helping. See, you don't need to operate in your gifts to serve. We need to operate in our gifts, but serving can be as simple as helping. 
And that can be anything. Helping doesn't mean you need to worship. It doesn't mean that you need to welcome. It doesn't mean that you need to do anything other than help. See, God honors our service. It doesn't matter what it is. But the other part is you are the body of Christ. and Each one of you is a part of it. Now, if you consider yourself part of the body of Christ, then maybe you're a finger. And how much good is a finger? You can do a bunch with it. You can scoop eggs and you can pick up forks. But if you're part of the body of Christ, imagine how much more useful a hand, let alone a whole body is. And you see, we see in the early church there was this crazy influx of people. The church grew by the thousands in a matter of days. And it became such an amazing, incredible, just community of people that impacted the local community and changed the lives of the poor, the widowed, the sick, and made disciples of all nations. I mean, from that small community of the early church, we now have churches all around the world and people praising Jesus this morning all around the world. But I believe that the reason why the early church was so effective in growing and serving the community is because they had unity They had unity in their purpose, their vision, and servant heart. So they weren't operating by themselves. They weren't a finger trying to do everything by themselves. They were a hand or a whole body that was operating together. And do you know the best place for us to cultivate a servant spirit as a church is within the church? A simple challenge. Have you taken a back seat from stepping up and serving at church? Because if you won't put your hand up here, to serve at church, then you are going to find it so much harder to put your hand up and serve where people don't love you, regardless. So the people in this building love you, and serving people who love you is so much easier than serving people you don't know and who don't love you. But if you are the body of Christ, and it commands us to use our gifts to serve others, serve at church. Put your hand up. Do something. Welcome people at the door. Set the chairs out. Vacuum the place. It doesn't matter what. But when we can learn as a church to have a unified servant spirit, then we're going to be so much more effective at the way that we serve. See, because we weren't meant to serve out of a lack. We were meant to serve out of the overflow. That the spirit would overflow in us and that where we walk, there would be a wake of the spirit from that overflow that just impacts people's lives. We don't even have to be present, but the spirit still lingers because there is an overflow. So that's the first one. Serve in church is really simple. The second one is just do it. Now, I know immediately some people's minds go to Nike. I don't know if anybody's wearing Nike in the place, but just do it. But believe it or not, just do it was in the Bible a long time before Nike ever existed. James 1 verse 22 to 25 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In other translations, you could just put it up as do it. Just do it. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And I actually get the picture that the Nike promotion, Just Do It, that God actually had his, his fingerprints all over that. And that was actually birthed by him. Because those three words, they are all you need to get people to do some stupid things or some great things. 
I mean, that's all I need to say to get somebody to jump off a high place into water that's a little bit too shallow. Or at a youth picnic to encourage one of my leaders to eat half a container of spicy capsicum dip, even though they hate spicy capsicum dip. Love you, Tom. And it's all you need with the correct tone to get your young person to clean their room. Just do it. And it's, it's all you need, those words. But it's so versatile, and we often relate it back to Nike, but we miss the fact that God said it. God had it written down in this book, the Bible, that we live by over 2,000 years ago, yet we're so often too slow on the uptake. We had to wait for Nike to come out with it for us to be using just do it. When God says, do what it says. The word says serve. If you're not serving, then you're not just doing it. See, where the Bible says serve, do it. Start serving in church and cultivate a servant spirit and watch that flow out of every aspect of your life into the world. Now, I've told you what to do and that we just need to do it, but I want to tell you a really simple how. And we're going to come from the book of Samuel talking about David. But if we want God to give us responsibility over his battles in this world, and we want, us, we, we want to make changes, we want to impact for the kingdom of God, then we need to spend time doing what seems insignificant. We need to do what may seem insignificant. Because God consistently uses the insignificant to do the significant. Am I right? I mean, when Jesse's son were being chosen for the king, they chose the most insignificant one, the one who nobody thought would be useful, David. And it says, 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 to 19. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. See, David wasn't a warrior. By all intensive purposes, if you were looking up to somebody and you wanted to be somebody, you wanted to look up to his brothers, the people in the spotlight who were fighting the Philistines with their mighty swords raised with their armor, all looking shiny or dirty by this stage. They were the ones who were doing the work. David was tasked with bringing them lunch. He was the pizza boy. He made their Subway sandwich and he brought it down for them. But because David was faithful and obedient in the insignificant of bringing lunch for his brothers, God positioned him to do the significant and defeat Goliath. If you didn't realize or not, if, you're, um, if this is your first time in church, but if you didn't realize David and Goliath is a biblical story, the term David and Goliath, it comes from the Bible. And David was positioned only because he was obedient and just bringing a lunch. I don't know if that would have hit him. He's like, well, my brothers are out doing crazy things and fighting battles and I'm bringing lunch to them. Seems a little insignificant, but he was obedient. And there seems to be this learnt human trait that we love to compare our service to others and feel like we come up short. Because it seems there's always somebody who's up in the spotlight, who's doing crazy, awesome things and singing loud or always seems to be chosen for things. But God doesn't operate by our traditional objective methods of measurement for your service. Like not in the slightest. Half the parables teach us God cares what is from the heart, 
Your serving will only position you to be effective and effectively used by God if you are willing to do what may seem insignificant to you because God will make it significant. God uses the insignificant to do the significant because putting the urns on in the morning to make tea later may have an impact on somebody's conversation and warm them enough for a conversation to happen that changes their perspective of everything. And you didn't know it. Clicking the little keyboard at the back of the auditorium to put the next line up in worship may seem, you know what, other people do something a little bit more hectic than me. I just press a button. But that line could have been all that somebody needed to completely shift their perspective on the living God and see Him in a completely different light. See, your service, it doesn't matter how big or how small. If you think it's insignificant, God knows it is significant. Church, next week we get to hear from our brand new senior pastor. And I don't know about you, but I want to capitalize on the momentum and take as much of the dark kingdom of darkness back. I want to go out into our community and I want to destroy what the devil has built. I want to capitalize on the momentum of fresh leadership, of fresh vision, of fresh preaching, of a fresh face. See, but I'm not in the... I'm not in the business of church to build ministry. I'm in the business of church to build the kingdom of God. And I can't tell you how many times when I step out and say, yes, when I grow completely weird from, weird, well, I'm weird, but grow completely weary of serving at church. When I come back to church late at night because something hasn't been served, unlock, walk in here while it's pitch black, stub my toe on a chair, have a little bit of a Barney with God because I stubbed my toe, get what I needed done, and then go home or rock up early before church so that I can prep it so that it's ready for the worship team to go. I can't tell you how many times God has opened up doors for me to spread the gospel and serve the local community just because I was obedient and diligent in serving in something that seemed insignificant. See, church, let's just do it. Serve, serve, serve. Where it says, do what it says. If the Bible's telling us to serve, do it. I know there's people in this room. I know there's friends and family who you need to challenge on this as well. Who They've taken the back seat and they're like, that's all right. There's lots of people that do that. I'm not talented in that way. See, God sees your uncomfortableness when you press into a situation and honors that. But do what it says. Serve. Serve at church. Serve at school. Serve at work. But if you're not willing to serve in here, I'm going to issue this challenge again. If you are not willing to serve in here where you are loved, I guarantee when you get to try to serve at work, it is going to be so much more difficult for you. 100%. You might not even serve at work. Because when you serve in here, there is grace, there is love, and there is also a unified servant spirit. And that means that you're not just serving with one person. You're not just serving as a lone cowboy, you're serving as an army. And how much more effective is an army than a lone cowboy? So if you play an instrument or sing, come talk to me. This worship team loves new people. If you can garden, talk to Laz or Anita. If you love young people, talk to me or talk to Joe. If you're creative, talk to Jody, talk to Beck. If you're an ideas person and you have thoughts about how we can be on mission in the local community, talk to Jenny. If you have a friendly smile or want to develop one, talk to Anita and welcome people. If you've got no clue how you can serve, put your hand up for anything. 
Start to serve. Start to cultivate that servant spirit. So church, what are you always doing? Are you always scooping eggs? Are you always eating a fat? Are you always being yourself? I don't know about you, but the cry of my heart is not that people would say he's always being a muppet, but that they'd say he is always serving. What is Tim always doing? Always serving. And as we step into this new season with a brand new senior pastor, I hope that's the cry of your heart, that you'd just be known. What are they always doing? They are always serving. Because with a unified servant heart, church, we can do so much more than one or two people who are just willing to serve. That's my challenge for today. And we're going to come back into a time of worship. And as we sing this last song, I've got no clue what we're going to sing. But as we sing it, that has been you and you've taken a back step from serving then I hope you feel challenged I hope you feel convicted to step up and serve to step up and love on your neighbor to step up and use your gifts within this setting but also within each of your settings let's be obedient to the word obedient to the will of God and let's serve hey so come on I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship Worship our living God because He is worthy of all of our praise. Thank you, Jesus. This morning I ask that you would just dwell, your spirit would dwell so richly right now. God, I pray where we've taken a back step from serving, challenge us. Where we have been serving, give us more energy, lift us up. God, would we serve in church? Would we just do it? And would we be willing to do what seems insignificant over and over again because we have no idea the repercussions of what you're doing with our insignificance? Father, would you be praised in this place? Your name and your name alone, Jesus. Give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.